0: hey there it's jvl on the secret show today sarah longwell was out and i sat down with bill crystal and we talked about a a whole lot of deep dark stuff uh it's it's a journey here's the show so uh i want to talk so we're recording on Friday, September 1, and I want to talk about a piece in the New York Times in the op-ed section by a woman named Bridget x And she is a um, assistant superintendent in Iowa who has written an op-ed explaining their attempt uh, to to remove books from their school libraries in her district. And uh, what it's a fantastic piece. I I will put a link to this in the show notes. People should go and read it. But what she says is like Iowa just passed a parental rights bill Uh, at the end of May. It went into effect July 1 and it told school teachers, administrators that uh, school libraries may only contain age appropriate books free of any descriptions or visual depictions of a sex act. And it holds individual teachers and school librarians legally accountable for any any violations found. And so all of this is done with, again, as all these laws are done, incredibly broadly written. The state uh, Department of Education refused to give any guidance to individual school districts. And so teachers had basically eight weeks and teachers administrators to go through all of their libraries, which includes not just the school system libraries, but individual classroom libraries. And another provision of the law, uh, I got to find this here for, is that the teachers had to have read every book in their libraries and be able to recall details of every book in libraries so this puts another like layer of accountability and accountability and air quotations on it uh and so you know among the books that they had to pull they had to pull the color purple they had to pull beloved they had to pull i know why the cage bird sings the handmaid's tale uh and it's it's pretty bad i think and what she says is that uh They wound up using AI to try to narrow the list of books that they really had to look at, um, which is what they got sort of briefly famous for. But here's the the thing I want to zero in on. Um, And here's here is, I think, the most important line in in her piece. Our district has not had a formal challenge to a book in our libraries in over two decades, indicating that parents are not worried about what is on the shelves. So they, they have a process in place for parents to ask them to reconsider books and instructional materials, and nobody's doing it. So this just jumped out to me as like this culture war run amok for no reasons. And I don't know. What are your thoughts on all this?
1: Uh, I think it's a very interesting piece and it raises so many interesting questions about the character of this culture war we're in, the the way in which the authoritarian right is trying to uh, win battles or make progress, not by actually passing, you know, thought through laws that might change things in school libraries or other places and setting up presumably boards that would uh, re- re- consider the books every three years. You know, there are obviously ways you could do this in a more normal, in a sort of administratively sensible way, but by empowering individual complainants in this case, but you see this in a million other cases, Texas with the abortion yeah. legislation and so forth to kind of, uh, and both empowering individuals who complain, not they don't even have to be individuals in the district, I guess, and also p- uh, putting criminal penalties on teachers or on others as a way of sort of bludgeoning them into being, uh, understand, but this is very much true on abortion, of course, uh, doctors, but also people who refer other people or provide transportation for other people, criminal penalties on them. So they get uh, understandably scared and, and sort of cave in uh, to the demands of, of, of the, those who are pushing this, this agenda. So, uh, I don't, you know, it's, so it's both irresponsible, obviously, it raises real rule of law kind of questions. Um, but it also, yeah, as you say, it's, it's sort of, it's kind of a top down, semi fake cultural war, in the sense that it's not clear that all this stuff is bubbling up from dissatisfied parents. There's some of that, obviously. And of course, it's a, a bit of a catch 22, because once you start fostering this stuff and stirring the pot, of course, people are going to show up and say, Oh, I'm upset about this. I'm upset about that. But, uh, I think it raises a very interesting question, but the, what is this moment we're in? Is this really a massive culture war? Or Rod Brownstein's compared it to the 1850s, and there are certainly elements of it that feel like that, and we're going towards, if not a civil war, I don't think we are that, but it's a real chaos and violence and, and, and red state, blue states red states and blue states going in wildly different directions and almost at some point perhaps saying to the federal government, we don't accept your laws on this. We're doing our own thing. I can certainly see that post a Trump victory or a Trump defeat, incidentally, depending on which different states would do that, right? Uh, That's a bigger discussion. But but, but, uh, are we in that or are we just in some fake kind of culture war that honestly could subside, I guess, if it really is sort of fake and just a bunch of agitators whipping it up
0: i don't know and it's uh it's it's very hard to get your arms around because you see it at like all the different levels as you said there's like the texas bounty abortion law i just as an aside the very funny aspect of conservative people who want to hold teachers criminally accountable for books on the stands in their lie school libraries but do not want to end qualified immunity for police officers who may kill people in the course of their life. It's, it's insane, right? The, the weirdness of how accountability is. But that's is. what
1: a culture war is, right? I mean, it's right. not about let's have more or less accountability for public officials. It's not about here's a rational way of comparing these two types of jobs and what kind of accountability is appropriate. It's going after your enemies and and, leaving, and, and excusing not just leaving your friends alone, but but going at bat, bending over backwards to excuse the people who are on your side of the culture war. So in that respect, it's bad. I mean, that's that is that intensifies. It seems to me, it, it can be start with a bunch of agitators, to use a term that George Wallace used, and I guess the Southerners used in the eighteen fifties. You know, but it it, it that has a certain momentum of its own, and and it really replicates sort of at the state and local level, and and suddenly. So I, I think it is. Yes, it, it's a mistake to dismiss this as just ridiculous stuff that's happening, though, in some ways, given that none of the parents in this district district complained, it is kind of ridiculous, you know, stuff that's happening.
0: It uh, and it goes against the I mean, the entire conservative ethos of subsidiarity, right, where you want to delegate decisions to the 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 bodies that are closest to the actual people. Right. This is, as you said, it's a very top down thing. Um I don't know. I So I, I talked to yesterday in uh, yesterday's triad, there was there was a poll out about American satisfaction with schools and Americans are on the whole very dissatisfied with school. Only 36 percent of the country uh, says that they are satisfied with schooling in America. However, among parents with children who are currently in K to 12, 76 percent of them are satisfied. It's like I don't know how to. I don't know how to absorb something like that, because it's like the 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 surveys showing that people hate Congress and don't trust Congress, but love their own congressmen. Or the surveys saying uh, the economy is terrible. People will say the economy is terrible and it's in the toilet. But my personal economic situation is better than it was a year ago. Right. Like how like I don't. What the
1: hell is happening? No, well, I, mean, I think you pointed that out yesterday. That, that survey is so interesting. The boomers who don't have kids in the schools, and some of them maybe have grandchildren, but they're getting uh, as a grandparent, I can say that you're getting kind of very, you know, fragmentary, secondhand accounts in some ways of what's happening there. Um, uh, they're all upset, and the actual parents are making it work, presumably at a reasonably. Satisfied. So, which way does that cut? On the one hand, one wants to say, well, that just, it's just, as I say, agitators, troublemakers, dissatisfied observers weighing in, uh, in, in unhelpful ways, God knows. But, you know, ultimately, it's sort of an amazing amount of, it can be damaging, but it, it's not fundamental, you know, which it would be if 70% of the parents were unhappy with right. their kids' schools, or if there was an unbelievable number of complaints in a huge number of school districts from actual parents in those districts to continue on the education side of things. But the same would be true in, in other areas. Um, so on the one hand, one could say, well, it's, it's, it, it is it's surface. On the other hand, I suppose if one looks at history, and uh, looks at the history of civil wars and pretty... And, conflicts that have really spiraled into very nasty conflicts. They probably start with a bunch of, you know, it's not clear that everyone in Yugoslavia was hating each other in 1900, I'm sorry, 1990, I mean, there was a huge amount of inter, uh, the communities were interpenetrated, there was, you know, intermarriage and so forth, they lived next to each other. Uh, One could have said it could go on as it had with some tensions, but nothing. And then it takes, it takes a Milosevic, it takes some agitators, it takes a slow, you know, it takes Srebrenica, and you have, you know, civil war for most of a decade and, and real slaughter and real violence. I don't think we're quite at that. But but that's what, I guess, the question, and there's so many historical examples. It's not like most people, and I'm going to make this up, but most people in Europe in the 17th or 18th century were sitting around, whether they were as Catholics or Protestants, and thinking, you know what, I really want to go after those Protestants a 100 miles away and change their, you know, force them to convert or, or push them back. It's, it takes a few leaders and a few uh, demagogues and a few ambitious politicians, and suddenly you've got wars all over the place. So... um, I'm oversimplifying a little, and I think those religious divisions are deeper, I guess, than our divisions. Though, on the other hand, Jonathan Swift satirized them, uh, in the early 18th century. I think it was big egg and little egg, and let's fight a war about which side, you know, whether the, the egg should be put in its, in its, uh, the hard boiled egg, I guess, or soft boiled egg should be put in its, in its, uh, little cup up, you know, uh, big side up or smaller side up. Right. And I mean, in some ways, those were also, ridiculous. you know, so, you, this is what worries me the most, I think. That, that I used to think you know, it's, it, it's not slavery. It's not the 1850s. It's not even, we're not, we don't have a Great Depression. It's not the 1930s. We didn't have World War One, so it's also not the 1920s and 30s in that respect. I mean, how, what do we, you know, the country's in decent shape. Surely all this stuff, which is unpleasant and bad, you know, is, is kind of the surface. But at some point, the, if, if the surface gets roiled enough, I suppose, and, 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 and people get worked up enough, you can have very bad things happen, even though from a sort of 30,000 feet perspective, you look at it and say, why, why is this happening now? I mean, what, what, what are the underlying, is it, is the hollowing out of central, middle America by globalization that bad? Is the culture, or the cultural changes that threatening? Can you not live as a conservative, uh, heterosexual, uh, churchgoer in America today? Because, you know, somewhere else, 100 miles away, some, trans person is being treated differently or or a gay couple lives you know down the street i mean i it is um and I guess I've come more to the view that this is very dangerous that I mean it doesn't take that it takes a fair amount to disrupt a big reason what was once a big reasonably healthy country like the United States but a presidency for four years, a huge um, uh, media and political and institutional echo chamber that has a huge interest in this now. Uh, the the sense that you get away with and get rewarded for the irresponsibility, I think that's very important. You don't pay a price, so you just keep pushing it. And the next generation looks up and says, "Well, that person did pretty well pushing this. I'm going to go even further and push that." And and I I, I think it's 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 mostly on the right. Obviously, there's some of this on the left, but uh, I don't know. I, I think it's it's worrisome. It goes beyond just you know winning this election here or defeating this bad piece of school board legislation there.
0: So I wonder if the part of the answer here isn't the imposition of consequences. So yesterday we had the sentencing of two of the Proud Boys leaders. Uh, we've had a whole lot of January 6th uh, insurrectionists who have, have you know, wound up in jail or still are involved in trials. We have... Uh, the 19 defendants in Fannie Willis's district in Fulton County, Georgia. We have you know, criminal prosecutions of Donald Trump. I mean, part of what my my thesis in all of this is that this culture war is a result of decadence because we have it so good, right? In that everything is, people don't have to worry about anything. I'm, I'm gonna mention this later today in, in my newsletter. Uh, boat sales are at an all time high. And mm-hmm. these are not like, Blue state New York yacht boat sales. These are middle America. I bought my bass boat type things. And it's precisely because people aren't really struggling and people aren't like, you know, things are actually pretty okay right now. The people feel like they have the space to do this stuff because it's performative and it's cosplay and there are no no consequences to it. You can say whatever the fuck you want and people are like yeah, sure, whatever. You want to say the earth is flat, that's funny. There are a lot of flat earthers who have used successful YouTube channels, right? You want to say that you're going to get your gun and go down to the Michigan State House. Well, that's a, you know, and we need to start having some more consequences for people and maybe that will help out? I don't and I don't know what that means when I say consequences.
1: Oh, I, oh, look, I think that's very, very important, and I totally agree. And I think the consequences can be both punitive consequences. I do think it's in, just to what, after all the January 6th, you know, the the people who stormed the Capitol, some of us were saying, shouldn't they also go after the top characters? And they have done that now. But, but I think just locking up a lot of these people who actually invaded the Capitol, beat up cops and so forth, probably has deterred uh, I, uh, you know, what could have happened last November when there were close elections? I think if you were thinking of storming the Arizona Capitol after Carrie Lake is contesting the election, maybe you think twice when you see, you know, gee, I could be like five years in jail. That's not just, not just, you know, uh, kind of, a tie, you know, having my picture in the paper for one day in, a, in an embarrassing way or not embarrassing way, but you could turn that to your advantage on conservative social media, but, you know, jail term. So I think very important. I always say this when I got to Washington in 85. Uh, We got our little ethics briefings. I was in the Education Department, then in 89 in the White House, bigger ethics briefings. It was important, people didn't necessarily dwell on this, but it was important for us mentally that in 75, the Watergate conspirators, Nixon had been pardoned, obviously, but forced from office. Uh, And then the, you know, Haldeman, Ehrlichman, John Mitchell, had gone to jail, Yep. And what had the sense that, I'm not saying this was the top of my mind, I don't hope I wouldn't have committed ethics violations anyway, nor most of my colleagues, but and it wasn't at the scale of, and so forth. But what had the sense that, you know what, you could really pay a price if you just ignored certain laws about what you can and can't do as a federal government official if you try to use the FBI to inappropriately and stuff, I wasn't really in a position to do that. So I don't want to compare myself. But I I mean I just think people had that sense. And even Iran Contra, which wasn't quite the same thing and it was more of a muddied water, people had been indicted and prosecuted and maybe Unfairly by Lawrence Walsh, in, in some cases, I think, but still, there was a sense that you can't just do stuff that's contrary to law, that's contrary to, to uh, uh, that that's just uh, that really just uh, shows contempt almost for the law. And look, and the last bunch of years on that have just been terrible. I mean, you know, the Trump administration, the Hatch Act became a joke. The Hatch Act was a pretty serious piece of legislation oh, yeah. to try to make sure that when you elect, when someone has a government office, he doesn't use that office for political purposes. Otherwise, it tips the playing field. They otherwise, Republican
0: you're, National Convention at the White House. Yeah. Otherwise, you're Orban's. <laughs>
1: this is what, you know, wasn't the perfect legislation, but it is sort of one way of preventing us from becoming Orban's Hungary, let's say, where the power, the party that holds the government, it has power, and the government has a massive advantage over the over the out party. And obviously, and, and all of that has become so, um, there are no consequences. It's not just punitive consequences. It's sort of policy consequences, um, the shootings. I, there's something pathetic about, I, I, you know, gun control is a complicated issue in terms of actual legislation. But the idea that one of our two major parties now almost uniformly has the view that there's this shooting after shooting. And we don't even have to pretend to take it seriously as a public policy matter. And in fact, we're going to just keep going down the path of, you know, permitless... uh, Constitutional uh, carry. Yeah, constitutional (laughs) carry, open carry. And, And we're going to pretend that actual real events leading to the real deaths of real Americans don't require some rethinking of the current public policy structure. I think that's very damaging and dangerous. Now, again, one could end up having a big debate and not passing that much legislation. But one sign of a healthy system is you, if there's a problem out there, and it can be exaggerated and it can be misunderstood, incidentally, and the legislation can be wrong, but it's a healthy situation if you, there's a problem and people try to address it. And what's striking here is, as you say there, uh, yeah, there are these areas, there don't seem to be consequences in that public policy sense. As well as in the more criminal justice sense. And I think that combination leads to a kind of fatalism. The other side becomes, in a way, made more extreme and, and, and because it doesn't see much point and there isn't much point, honestly, in trying to build a consensus for A, B, or C. I mean, look at all these. I was true in education, true in gun control, all kinds of sensitive areas. It's not out of the question intellectually that there could be a medium, you know, a ground that would, uh, satisfy both, most of both sides. But once you don't get in the habit of being serious about either uh, criminal consequences, but also policy consequences of reality, you really, um, you're on a bad, you're on a slippery slope to, I don't know to what exactly, but I mean, to just, well, to performative politics where being more radical just pays off. Because you don't yeah. pay a price, you don't get you don't get sort of marginalized for your radicalism. You don't get excluded from anything. You don't become an ineffectual member of Congress. Uh, you become actually more attention is paid to you, and you become a more effective member for Congress. Is Marjorie Taylor Greene a less effective member for Congress than some quiet Republican who's probably behind the scenes trying to do some useful things, but doesn't have the courage to really stand up. To Marjorie Taylor Greene, no. So I mean, I think you know, a kind of. Uh, uh, Yeah, I mean, there needs to be a culture of responsibility, but that culture then has to be a culture that shames and blames and in some cases actually penalizes irresponsibility and that we don't have. Hey, again, it's JVL. The
0: conversation goes on from there. If you want to hear the rest of the show, head on over to Bulwark Plus and subscribe. We'd love to have you.